Welcome to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. Your hosts are Annika Melchert and Nora Hocker. Join them as they talk to hand-picked FinTech experts about the future of banking. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, my dear listeners from wherever in the world you're listening right now. Your favorite hosts, the wonderful Annika and myself, Nora, would like to welcome you to a very special episode of the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. Welcome, everyone. Maybe you're wondering why this episode is special. Well, we're recording this session as part of our live conference at BCG Platinian, where we're having women all around the world here. So therefore, it will not only be Nora and myself asking the questions, but we will have a huge community of female and male colleagues in the background who may sneak in their questions as we're running this session. And it's not only the fact that we are live recording right now, uh, which is very weird for me, to be honest. But it's not only that that makes this episode special. It's also a special occasion because we will talk about women and technology and we are part of the Women Conference right now. And we are very happy to have found just the perfect guest for this topic, which is Alexa Couture, the co-founder of Uplift. And yeah, welcome, Alexa. It's great having you here. Yeah, it's great being here. Thank you for the invitation. We're so much looking forward to learn more about Uplift and your mission to make finance more accessible to women. But first, I'm sure your list, our listeners are dying to hear a little bit more about you. So what does the world need to know about Alexa Couture? So it, give a brief intro of who I am. So I'm also coming from the consultancy world. I've been working for seven years for Deloitte Digital. Um both in Germany and the US. And um, yeah, I think what led me to found a financial company or fintech is that I've been um, consulting for more than seven years um, financial services. And yeah, that's where I really realized, okay, there's um, a lot of things uh, or needs not really targeting the needs of women. Um, and that's basically what led me to the idea of Uplift. So um, when I came or I got basically pregnant in the US and decided um, that's the right time to leave my consultancy be uh, behind and um, to start founding a company. So I came back to Germany and um, yeah, that's when I founded um, Uplift. That was one and a half years ago. Awesome. Speaking of Uplift, how would you describe Uplift, its, its business model, its mission? Maybe first in three words. So if I have to describe it in three words, I would describe it as a digital wealth creator. That's very suitable. <laughs> <laughs> and it's also very describing the consultant's yeah. reality. So you need to do it in three words and you manage to so. No, but what I, I, can, I can give a little bit more. I, I can add a little bit more to that. Maybe how would you explain your business model? Okay, so the business... So maybe I, I add a little bit more to Digital Wealth Creator um, because I, I think it needs a little bit. Um, because the, the, the category we're focusing on is new. So basically what we see out there, there's wealth management, but there's not really any tools that support you or users slash women to build wealth or create wealth. So what we are actually doing is we gonna, we're using data and AI in order to deliver a personalized plan to women to help them starting um, to make smart decisions and grow their wealth within one app. We are all consultants in the call or come from a consulting world. Obviously, we ask ourselves, what is, um, I mean, I, I understand that's more or less part of the, the, the mission and the, the product. What's the business model behind it? 
So the business model contains of two different components. The first one is that um, imagine a user, for example, opens a depot um, but, um, at our partners and we receive a commission. That's one part of the business model. The second part is um, that we offer basic features that are for free, but for certain features, we um, ask for a fee. So for example, we have a wealth tracker um, feature in our product. We actually analyze where the women are with their wealth creation. And we map that against the financial independence number, what we call fun. And based on that, we see the, the gap. And of course, most of the women we address or we target already have a portfolio. But a lot of women and also men um, do not know or feel insecure whether they're on the right track with the portfolio they have set so um, up so far. So we have one of the basic features we have is a portfolio analyzer that analyzes the portfolio you already created. But for example, where we um, charge a fee is a portfolio builder and optimizer where we actually advise you what kind of different assets you should add to your portfolio to be more di to diversify it, but also to create the return you need for your financial independence. Understood. Uh, what is that? You, you called it fun factor, right? Uh, the financial independence. Uh, yeah. What is that about? How does it calculate? So basically it calculates on your income and then it um, actually looks what's the money you need. Let's say you want to be financially independent or retire at 50. It basically calculates what you need by then. And that's your fund number. So basically the money you need in order to live financially independent in 30, 40 years, whatever you want. And that is different for women compared to men? Um, it's, well, the calculation is the same, but I guess, and that's what we see, the difference is that women have career breaks. And of course that affects the number. And that's basically the gap you're you're building um, the business model on. Is that correct? No, the gap is so the gap is really like the money you need for fun and the the, the money or the wealth you already created, and that's the gap we're actually tackling. Has your idea evolved since you founded Uplift, or was it directly your value proposition you started from? No, it evolved. In fact, so um, we first focused on a financial advisor slash planner meaning we tackled first um, different financial goals people have, short-term, mid-term, and long-term. Um, but then we realized um, our users, women, mainly have one main pain point or one main question they need to tackle is how much wealth and how do I have to build in order to become financially independent? And that's what we did. We um We didn't change the business model and we didn't change all the features we had, but we become more specific and more focused on one specific use case instead of tackling several use cases. Probably as you also learn more about the customer group, right? Yes, exactly. And what, I mean, like it's still one of the features we will build in later on is of course um, the women we're tackling. They do have a decent income, but of course, the save, the, we also calculate the saving rate they need monthly in order to achieve financial independence. And some of our women do not have the saving rates yet. So what we're going to do as a next feature is also setting up a saving plan so they achieve basically the optimal saving rate. And that was also part of our first MVP. But what we realized is by having all these different use cases, spending, saving, investing, 
people feel overwhelmed and it didn't really tackle the main issues they had, which was building wealth for financial independence. So we've talked before, right? And we have a, a group of technology enthusiasts in this room. And I've heard that you are building Uplift currently as, as a prototype, right? On a low-code platform, um, which is something uh, new, actually, compared to other guests on this podcast. So how, how does this work? So we're, yeah, that's correct. We're building um, Uplift on a low-code platform. It's called Clyde. Um, and basically how it works, there's the back end. I would call it, it's a little bit more advanced than an Excel sheet in terms of like, you know, like how you can set up your data structure. But basically um, the formulas we use are similar to the formulas you also build in Excel. So that's pretty much the back end currently. And of course, once we start developing native machine learning and all these kind of things will play a big role. And in terms of fronted, you can imagine it is like drag and drop. So there are different options how you can build your front end. And yeah, that's how basically it works. And um, for our use case, it works perfectly. And I think it was the best decision in terms of, you know, we can um, very quickly change and adjust based on the data we receive. And of course, it's very cost efficient. Um, for example, one example yesterday, we um, so we released our second beta and um, we actually see the data and we saw the conversion dropped a little and we could immediately react and change something in the front end within a second without having developers and the, the conversion rate increased by 70% immediately. And that's I think that's a huge advantage because if you have developers, whatever, I guess we all know it, you have to write tickets, you have to prioritize the user stories, you have to check whether that's a that's feasible and that's nothing we have to do at the moment. And it, it allows us to, to validate our hypothesis very cost efficiently, very lean. How much effort was it for you to, to get started with the local platform? My background is in business, but I've been mainly... Yeah, for doing product development for the last seven years. So I had a very good technical understanding, also product understanding. And my co-founder, she's a product designer. So, and she has a very, she has better technical understanding than I do. So she did the whole technical sourcing, finding a platform that actually um, fits to our requirements. And in terms of building, I think it took, it's a very great community for the, the platform we're using. So if we had questions, we used the community, but also we watched in the beginning a lot of YouTube videos. But let's say we had a ramp up phase of, I don't know, like two or three weeks until we really got into the tool. And our first development for the closed beta took us three months and the second one three months. So you could really see we increase, like we really could um, decrease our development time by just using the tool every day. So that's what you call a self-starter. <laughs> yes. Will this also work in the future for you um, in terms of, for instance, scalability or performance once you're, you're live with this app and outside of the beta version? No, um, we knew it from the beginning. It has its restriction. I wouldn't say even the performance. The performance is, seems to be pretty stable so far. It's more that we really, um, yeah, the, the restrictions are really engagement, like driving engagement, retaining users, because one example, um, there are no notifications. You cannot send notifications. Um, It's, it's, it's a web app, so you can only bookmark it. The only way we can actually reach out to our app users is via email. And that's, I mean, it's, 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 you can see the user's journey has a lot of frictions because then they receive the email, they have to click on the link in the email. 
it's not as it should be. And But we knew it from the very beginning and it's totally fine, but that's definitely nothing we can um, do forever. And also in terms of um, for our business model or for our idea, we need APIs to banking accounts, but also to depose. You could do it with, um, with Clyde partially, but of course not to the extent we really want to build it. But you're, I mean, you're basically following a... Uh like a design thinking approach by the books, rapid prototyping. Uh, you're, yeah. you're building that prototype right now. You're testing it with users and you, you gain insights on them, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Are you also testing it um, with male users or is Uplift just for women? No, we're also testing it with male. So our ICP, our IA customer profile is women, but we do not exclude men. And actually, um, we had uh, also interviews with men and even my partner and my founder's partner, they tested it and they were like, okay, I definitely also see a need by like um, for men. But as I said in the beginning, I really believe given the fact that women face the financial independence gap due to career breaks more often, that's the best way to enter the market by tackling women first. How would you describe your, your typical customer? That's actually our first question from the chat. Do you have something like a typical persona? Yeah, we do have. So we categorize them in three different types. So the one is the person who, uh, the one persona is we call, she's pretty insecure and blank in terms of finan financial knowledge. She hasn't started her wealth creation journey. That's one. We have the second one who already started. We call her the optimizer. Like she already started, but is always pretty insecure whether she's on the track, uh, was, if, if she's on the right track with what she did. She needs a lot of reassurance. And the third one is the expert. And the one we're tackling first is the optimizer. So our persona, she's between 30 and 40. She already built some savings. She already started investing, but is still insecure whether she made the right decisions. Sounds good. How many users do you have so far? And is there already a target for, for instance, short-term or mid-term for you? So currently we have uh, a 300 users like testing and that's increasing because we just started opening up and we start, we haven't started any marketing so far. So that's something we will kick off next week, like running campaigns. Yeah, that's it. And then we have also a waiting list, which we rolled it out, but now it's really open. And now we're going to test with um, the campaigns, the value prop, whether it really resonates with our users and if the key benefits we identified are also the pains users have. What is the timeline currently? When can we expect um, an Uplift app in, in the App Store publicly available? So that really depends on how, when we close our funding round. Uh, well, hopefully... Well, our our assumptions is that we already built the the data structure. We already built the like the financial model framework behind, and we already have a front end. Of course, um, limited to the restrictions uh, just pointed out. But if we have the money, we're pretty positive that we can build that. Let's say within three to six months. So hopefully, all depending on when we receive funding. I could imagine that the end of the year will be realistic to have a very first version. So fingers crossed for your funding round. Thank you. We also have another question from the chat. So um, what are the actions you're triggering to, to increase the user base and generate an active community? Yeah. Um, we have different. So basically what we did with it, I, maybe some are familiar with the term, like a nudging strategy. 
Um, for example, we have different features. We have a wealth tracker. And what we usually do, we actually um, have an email where we describe the feature. And then we actually ask people to enter the, um, the app. And we have channels, fun channels, we call it. Fun for financial independence number, where we have investing. We call it, you can imagine it's built like Spotify. It's like a channel. We call it, you have a channel like investing 101 and then we have different different um, articles or tips we also want to do recording and video and for example when we had the war like the crisis with ukraine started we for example published one article how to build a crisis proven portfolio and these are different topics that pop up and we have a notching strategy and then we send out emails and then we actually try to get people back into the app so to sum up, either through our features, we're building on the go. So usually next week, for example, we publish a new features or through the content and articles we have on, on our app. That's the two ways we're actually triggering actions. So looking a bit further into the future, um, maybe five years ahead of now, um, what would be your vision for Uplift? So my vision is really to become the leading automated and algorithm-powered wealth creator for people under 40. So for me, it's really to make it delightful, delightfully easy and fun for everyone to build long-term wealth in order to become financially independent. Uh, this sounds promising. Coming maybe to, to a more technical or more, maybe coming to a more personal point of view. So as a founder, what are your biggest challenges right now? So for instance, from an entrepreneurial or also from a personal point of view here. So the, the main challenges we are facing is because we're two founders, we're both developing the app. Um, so we don't have any team doing that. So it's kind of a balance act, um, you know, developing the app, but also pushing forward the, the, the funding part, the strategy part, the marketing part. Um, that's kind of a balance act, I would say. Um, and I would say that's the main challenge so far. So it's just the two of you? All the time? It's just, just the two of us, wow. yes. <laughs> so we, we had one freelancer. Um, do, we ran our first campaigns last year, but that was the only one who supported us for a week. And since then, it's only the two of us. But I believe to um, it was the best strategy we can focus on to not build a overhead from day one on. Because I believe, and that's what I've seen often in my project, is as soon as you have managed a team, you can you actually lose speed. And that, I, I believe, is our big advantage, that we are so fast, just being the two of us. And, and given also the fact that we both can implement, gives us a big advantage of testing without losing too much money. Yeah, and using the momentum, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Um, one maybe more personal question. Um, I guess that's, that's also probably a challenge. Um, I mean, you're a parent as well um, and a founder, and that's typically two things um, that are very time-consuming already. Uh, what are your experiences with that? And maybe some, what are your tips um, or success stories uh, for maintaining a good work-life balance? Well, I guess um, I haven't managed it well so far, to be honest. Um, I'm getting better every day. Um, but I think my biggest learning and tip I have is build a support system as soon as possible if you don't have any support already next to you. Um, I didn't do it. I want to keep the costs at a minimum. And I really realized. So basically what I did 
I, I started building this company since day one, since my day, uh, daughter was born. And what I did, I worked when she slept. That means I didn't have any time for social life, sports, you know, like just other stuff. And I mean, you can do it for a while, but then I realized, okay, I have to change it because otherwise all the other things, social life, health will suffer. But I would get better at this. But I think this is one thing I would definitely make differently when I found again, having a small child at home. So maybe another question from, from the chat. What are the biggest struggles Abloft has faced so far and how are you managing or how did you manage to tackle them? Yeah, well, one struggle we had, uh, we got accepted for a scholarship by the German government and then actually it, it got withdrawn um, because we couldn't be on site given the fact that Martina, my co-founder and I had um, both have kids and it was Corona. Um, that was a big struggle because that meant we didn't ha have any uh, money coming in. Um, And the way we managed it, well, I escalated it. And I think I know how to do it from the consultancy world. So I escalated to the government. And I mean, in Germany, there's always a point of contact <laughs> you can, in terms of uh, discrimination, you can contact. So that's what I did. And at the end, we, we actually um, received it. So now we're actually receiving a scholarship, which is good. But that was a big struggle. And of course, it costs time to have that kind of conflicts next to your actually building a business. So that was one struggle. And um, yeah, and I mean, of course, a struggle is always if you currently we are bootstrapping and you know there's a deadline, like until we receive the scholarship, but you also know you need certain KPIs for the investors. It's, it's always a time balance thing. And like, you know, how much should I focus on a product? How much should I focus on the investor stack? I, I would say that's another, not a struggle, but that's something you really have to figure out. Or, and I think once you did it, you figured it out and for the next startup or whatever, you, you, you know how to do it. This sounds good. So basically your tip for all consultants is um, escalation is worth it. <laughs> <laughs> and work-life balance is always a struggle. <laughs> I know. <laughs> is there any part you, you miss from, from, your, from being part of consultancy and now switching to, to a founder mode? No, no. But I think I've been working in a consultancy work for seven years and I, what I missed at the end. So I learned a lot and I had, I really like, I'm very uh, grateful for that experience I had, but what I missed in the end, so I was manager and I was, yeah, there was the question, will I, will I actually stay and maybe, um, you know, go on a senior manager track? But then I, I really reflected and asked myself, what do I miss? And what I missed was ownership. So I, I had a, I had, I can say it, Allianz was a client for a long time and I really enjoyed it building with together with them, the digital factory. But, um, at the end, you only consult and you never have the ownership to build what you believe is the right thing to do. And that's what I missed. And this is exactly what I have now. And I'm so happy that I'm in the driver's seat and I can make mistakes, but I can also you know, change them and to learn from it and do it better. I think that that very much um, or partly answers already um, our next question. So what are the best and worst things about being an, an entrepreneur? Uh, I guess we've heard a lot about the better things uh, that make you switch. But what are also the, the downsides of it? Well, I guess the downside comes when you have employees and you have the responsibility to pay every month's salary. So far, I don't, and I, I believe that because my dad, he's an entrepreneur as well, and I think that's pressure. And that is a huge downside, which I don't have so far, which is why currently I would say I don't see any downside. Besides the fact, of course, I'm not earning money currently. 
accept a scholarship, but that's not a downside for me. So uh, I, I, I don't see any downside so far. I, I maybe see the downside if you have the pressure, you know, to, to make sure your employees are paid every month. Yeah, we, we also have a more, uh, a very rather personal question um, from the chat, as, as a lot of us probably know the struggle of, of balancing work and life um, very well. So what Did you and your partner or what do you and your partner say to yourself when you have a rough day or rough week? How do you support each other, keep the balance also between career and of course a harmony or <laughs> a sustainable life? Yeah, what, what we started, um, I mean, we are used to it that usually during the week we do not spend a lot of time together because I was traveling for seven years all the time. So we are used to this. Um, but I think what we now realize is and we had that already before because usually what we had when i've been working in a consultancy word friday was our day usually i came home on a friday um we already had our date night where we went out where we had dinner where we went to theater whatever and that somehow of course all through corona somehow disappeared and we started again for example saying okay we need one day per week where only it where it's only the two of us having dinner or whatever to really update and, you know, share what's going on in our lives. Because otherwise, you know, you, you, you become very functional. That's what we, we realized. So having that one day helps us a lot. Also, because usually when you have a kid and um, if you have dinner together, most of the time it's about the kids, which is totally fine because that's the center of attention. Um, for a while, but that's why we said we need a babysitter or whatever that we just go out and, you know, have that um, atmosphere where we can talk about us. I'd say that's still a rather rare situation in the startup scene, right? So other founders that we've talked to would never have that problem. I like the double pressure of managing uh, a family, actually, or managing a young family, and starting a business. Yeah, that might, that might be. And some people ask me why I did it. Why did I not just my parental leave? But I have to admit, um, I'm only a good mom if I have my work next to it. That's, that's it. That's just me. And I think everyone has to find their own path in this. But um, that's why I don't really see it as a struggle because both fulfill me. But I needed both at the same time. I think most of us can can relate to this. Um, we're also passionate about our work and what we do. So it helps everyone to have some kind of balance, not only between the obligations we have, but also between family and, and work here. I have one very last question. Um, you already mentioned that you're now um, pitching for, for some fundings. What's the next big thing we will probably hear about Uplift? Anything you can already spoil? <laughs> no, I, I guess the next big thing is really that um, we, we get funding, we close a funding round and then start developing the native app, bring it to the app store. That's, that's our next big step we're aiming for. Sounds great. I'm very much looking forward to that. We have one last question, which is even better than our last question planned. Uh, and that is what inspires you? Yeah, it's interesting what inspires me. So there's not one specific person that inspires me. I think what inspires me is being with people. And that sounds really like, you know, the buzzwords we in the consultancy world use a lot is um, we challenge the status quo. 
is really for me, like when I have a night out meeting women and a man, like, you know, like in events, I like when people come together and talk about challenges and how we can actually do better by challenge status quo. I think once, like when I have that kind of conversations, I go home and feel pumped and that really motivates me. But there is no specific person um, I could I could say that inspires me. Yeah, thank you very much for that as well. Um, we would be at the end with our questions. I'd like to thank you very much for the great insights on the founder's life, on Uplift, your mission, but also the very personal and honest stories. Uh, I always find that very inspirational as well. It was a pleasure talking to you, Alexa. It was a pleasure talking to you both. Thank you. And for all the nice questions, it was, was great to be here. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And do not forget to hit the follow button to not miss the next episodes. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the FinTech and Digital Banking Podcast by BCG Platinian. BCG Platinian, your experts on IT strategy, modern technology architecture, and state-of-the-art banking. The digital future is now. For more information, check bcgplatinian.com.